Here we go. West Hills Friends is a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts, especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond and dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributors. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. And one of the things we do is try to prepare our hearts. And one of the things that Mike said that just really stuck with me today is for all of us to let go of the need to feel like we're performing (laughs) and to um, to do our best to not get in God's way. (laughs) Um, I just want to thank Darlene for preparing my heart. I'm sort of in an interesting place for going forward. It was beautiful. Scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. Jesus and his disciples set out for the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say I am? They answered, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. And you, he asked them, Who do you say that I am? I also wanted to read briefly from a passage many of you know, written by Margaret Fell about George Fox in in his journals. As he said, the scriptures were the prophet's words and Christ's and the apostles' words, and what as they spoke they enjoyed and possessed and had it from the Lord. Then what had any to do with the scriptures but as they came to the spirit that gave them forth? You will say, Christ saith this, and the apostles say this, but what canst thou say? Shortly before I began seminary, a friend of mine, a devout Catholic, inquired, aren't you concerned with all this examination of God? You might lose faith in some of the things that you've treasured most. I replied I wasn't concerned, that I would rather have a stronger belief in a lesser God than an unexamined belief in a more powerful God. As I'm now coming up on the halfway point of my time in seminary, I thought I would share a little bit about how God is holding up under (laughs) cross-examination. I'm happy to report that God seems to be doing just fine. (laughs) Actually, my idea of God hasn't changed all that much in seminary, but a couple things really have changed. First, I would say some, but only some, of the mystery surrounding God has fallen away for me. More things seem to me to be either unambiguously true or unambiguously not true. Second, in letting go of some of those things I might have previously held as mystery, I've found that my God has become a more relatable God to talk about with others. 
and a God that others seemed to want to get to know better. Together, these two evolutions are helping me feel better equipped for whatever ministry lies ahead for me, even if I don't know yet what that looks like. To put it as succinctly as I can, the reason I'm here today, a member of this church and a seminary student, is because of an unshakable experience of a voice of healing more than 25 years ago at a time of personal crisis. In searching for an understanding of that singular experience, I began to read around in the Bible. I found the same voice in Jesus' teachings in the Gospels, and I found common ground with Paul's experience of the light and love that he ascribed to the Spirit of Christ. When I discovered the Quakers a few years later, I learned George Fox also had an active sense of God moving in his life. I became convinced that I belonged in this story and that this story belonged in me. Still, from the moment I first tried on the label Christian, I felt beset by challengers on all sides. I've always sympathized with the blind man to whom Jesus, according to the Gospel of John, gave back his sight. When confronted by religious authorities, he said, I do not know the answer to your questions. This much I know is true. And then I try to finish that sentence in my own words. I find it works better for me to try to construct God from the ground up than to deconstruct somebody else's problematic notion. So here then is my foundational answer to Fox's question, what canst thou say? I can say that I experienced a transformational message of love that did not seem to come from within me. It changed me, I can't shake it, and I can't seem to explain it outside of faith. To borrow the George Fox quote Mike used in his message last week, this I know experimentally. Crickets. <laughs> I can say that I'm not alone in having such experience. The Bible and Christian history are filled with such accounts, as are other religious traditions. I can also say that in spite of its challenges, the core Christian story as told in the Bible and as interpreted by many in the Christian community gives profound meaning to my experience. While these statements aren't new for me, one thing seminary has done is put me in touch with a wider community, a wider community of religious thinkers across time and cultures who have been stirred by similar experiences and have grappled for explanations. Not just, I'm sorry, I've just lost my track here. Give me a second. <laughs> the crickets are really noisy. Um, these, these other religious thinkers I've talked to, my reaction to them have been, not just interesting, but like, wow, you too, kind of interesting. With their help, I can now articulate what I call my stripped down idea of God and how God functions in the world. I hesitate to use the word simple. I see God principally acting in these two ways, causing the universe to come into existence and evolve in accordance with eternal laws, and 
seeking to move the human will from within, which we are free to listen to or ignore. This idea works for me because it affirms my scientific and moral understanding while also making sense of my spiritual experience. The question that remains is, does God act in any other ways? This question has been at the heart of my time in seminary. Setting aside the story of Jesus, and this is obviously a huge set aside, <laughs> but I need more time in seminary to figure that one out. My answer at the moment is not that I can see. Two years ago, after, shortly after my first class in seminary, I gave a message where I shared a cartoon that I'd had for years that I said had a lot, um, had said a lot about God to me then. I'm going to put it up again. Whoop. And now the focus world. If anybody is a little hard of seeing, it says, I just don't feel very omnipotent today. This still speaks to me today, maybe more than ever. Notwithstanding the imagery of the old white man with the beard, the God depicted here touches my heart by clearly expressing a great love and compassion for the world and all within it. This God's heart is continually being broken by pain and death and destruction, whether as a consequence of natural processes or brought about by human neglect or willfulness. And this God has limited power to change the course. One might reasonably ask, what good is a God whose ongoing actions are limited to work moving the human will from within? How is this better than a more powerful God or than no God at all? Well, for starters, the ability and desire to move the human will from within is no small thing. It completely transformed my life and my understanding, and it's done the same for many others. Even if we humans can and do ignore this prompting with astounding regularity. The more I reflect on the power of God to move the human will from within, which in Quaker terms is how I understand the leadings and the nudges that we center in silence to open ourselves to receive, the more I appreciate how amazing and blessed we are that this happens at all. Perhaps equally important though, a God whose powers are limited to moving the human will from within lacks the toxicity that makes the entire concept of God untenable or inscrutable for so many. This God does not cause earthquakes or floods to teach a lesson. This God does not start wars or give one side victory in a war to further a grand plan. This God does not, for purposes of rewarding or punishing individual behavior, cause conception or inflict infertility 
Cause or prevent birth defects or disease. Cause a person to win the lottery. Cause a person to be killed by a drunk driver. Many events still happen for a reason. But with this God, those reasons have nothing to do with God's intervention. Nor with God's willful lack of intervention. Many events still defy our capacity for logical or moral comprehension. We still need to leave room for mystery. But that mystery doesn't need to leave God's love for us in doubt. For many, including myself, working to overcome dysfunctional concepts of God acquired earlier in life, this stripped-down idea of God feels like a pretty good start. For those who have felt tormented or turned off by the God of their past understanding, this God offers an opportunity to reconsider the relationship and perhaps enter more deeply into the conversation about God with God and with others. In this case, I really think less is more. But why stop there? Why any God at all? After all, if I were to believe there is no God, then I would equally have no cause to wonder about God's hands in misfortune. This would leave more events, like my experience of the voice of healing, categorized as mystery. But intolerance of mystery isn't, to me, a good reason for faith, especially since no amount of faith can eliminate mystery altogether. For me, it comes down to the things I know experimentally. The experience of the voice of healing when I was in despair and subsequent experiences of movement I felt once I opened my mind to their possibility. And there are the similar experiences of others, some in this very room. All kinds of fingerprints falling far short of conclusive evidence. Yet fingerprints I can't ignore either. They get under my skin, they keep me searching for more, and for more understanding of their nature and their source. Another thing I know experimentally is the deep and beautiful interior resonance I feel when I study and reflect on the Bible and other holy writings. And when I work to interpret him in the light of this idea of God. There are biblical tensions, to be sure, borrowing the term Amanda gave our group this fall. But the tools I've gained through my seminary classes have enhanced, not diminished, my ability to reconcile these stories with the stripped-down God of my understanding. I also know experimentally that shared engagement in these stories gives me and those I share them with ideas and language with which to communicate thoughts and feelings that otherwise defy expression, no matter how real they feel. So today, I choose to understand all of these things as God's work to move my will from within and my work to give God a chance to break through to me, to get out of God's way. I choose to see all this as motivated by God's desire to increase my joy and to ease my suffering. 
And I feel this as an expression of God's love for me and for all humanity. In the end, it remains very much a mystery, which I choose to embrace without truly comprehending. And I choose to remain engaged in this enterprise of building up bedrock convictions and stripping away wishful thinking while still leaving room for, I wonder, especially about Jesus.